Thinner Logs is a Chicago-based sketch group that writes comedy grounded in shared true, personal stories about our existence as lifelong nerds. We started your stories to give everyone a chance to do what we do, share their own stories, and foster a more heartfelt, welcoming nerd community. Your Stories is about embracing the weird and obscure in your life and asserting your geekdom with a group that gets your references. And, most importantly, Your Stories is a place to bring people up, not to put anyone down. Hey everybody, my name is Eric Arno, and this is part one of the August Nerdalog Presents Your Stories podcast, recorded live at Chicago's Cat and Mouse Game Store, 2212 West Armitage. First off, big thanks to Cat and Mouse for letting us use their excellent space while our usual digs were booked. Uh, also, big thanks to all the storytellers who, in keeping with the new location, had a wealth of great material to share on the topic of games. This episode, you'll hear from Nerdalog member Andrew Bentley, comedy writer Charlie Madsen, games expert and Northwestern adjunct Professor Blake, producer Eric Parsons, Chicago Loot Drops Mike Chuck Bretzliff, head of Florida Games Jay Carberry, and the soon-to-be-leaving Shelby Mongan, plus music from myself, Dwight Hassler, and Claire Friedman. Uh, speaking of people who are leaving, Nerdalog's member Alex Talavera will soon be saying goodbye to the Midwest for his new home in Colorado. Join us Sunday, August 4th at the Public House Theater for our one final sketch show in which we say goodbye to our friend in true Nerdalog's fashion. The show starts at 7 and is only $5, but we're hosting a potluck at 4 for anyone who wants to come early. Just bring something to share. Uh, Alex will also be helping to run the next Your Stories recording on Sunday, August 18th, also at the Public House. The topic next month has been chosen by him, and it's going to be Best Laid Plans. So figure out your best story about that topic, come share it, and maybe get on a podcast. As always, Your Stories is free to attend and free to listen to. Um, because it's free to listen to, if you enjoy the show and want to show your support, we have a PayPal donate button on the site of our homepage at yourstories.podbean.com. If you want to kick a few bucks our way to help cover things like web hosting and equipment, that would be lovely. Either way, thanks very much for listening and enjoy the show. Dungeon Master Guide I've got 12-sided die I've got Kitty Pride And Nightcrawler too Waiting there for me Yes, I do I do I've got posters on the wall My favorite rock group Kiss I've got Ace Freely I've got Peter Chris waiting there for me. Yes, I do. I do. In the garage, I feel safe. No one cares about my ways. In the garage where I belong, no one hears me sing this song. In the Electric guitar. I play my stupid songs. I write these stupid words. I love everyone waiting there for me. Yes, I do. I do. 
in the garage I feel safe No one cares about my ways In the garage where I belong No one hears me sing this song In the garage, I feel safe No one cares about my ways In the garage where I belong No one hears me sing this song In the garage, I feel safe No one laughs about my ways In the garage where I belong While the first speaker of the second half talks, I'm going to change a guitar string if that's not excessively rude. Uh, Mr. Andrew Bentley, everybody. The, um, the, the best and newest member of the Nerd Alliance. <laughs> you know what? I don't need this. Goodbye. <laughs> Bentley, uh, and what I'm holding here is probably the closest thing I've ever had to a Bible. Uh, for those of you on the podcast, what I'm holding is the uh, uh, advanced second edition Dungeons and Dragons Monsters Manual. Amen. Amen, brother. <laughs> oh, God. All right. <laughs> so, uh, I have been playing D&D uh, in some shape or form for the last 15 years. Um, my, my first uh, campaign that I ran uh, was improvised from a sleeping bag uh, when in sixth grade uh, in my friend Chris Rory's basement. Um, and I spent most of that time since GMing. Now, Chris Rory is, uh, is the one who introduced me to D&D. Uh, he's also the one who introduced me to, to metal later on and uh, fireworks in between there at some point. <laughs> So, uh, but he, he brought this in in fifth grade because his, uh, his, uh, his dad and uncle both played, uh, and so he'd been introduced to it at a really early age, uh, and I borrowed the books from him um, without playing, and I was immediately, you know, just enraptured. This was exactly what I'd been looking for. Um, I remember staying up late at night uh, past the point when, you know, my, my lights were supposed to be out, uh, under the covers with a flashlight reading through the second edition Monsters Manual, uh, through all of the just esoteric uh, minutia that's in here. Um, there's two whole pages on aquatic elves. Um, the, uh, case in point. 
Um, to give an example of the, the sort of thing in here, I'd like to read a, a quick uh, excerpt here uh, from the section on owl bears. Um, and this is a, a paragraph from the, uh, the Habitat and Society section of their page. Uh, owl bears live in mated pairs. The male is slightly larger and heavier than the female. If encountered in the lair, there is a 25% chance that there will be one to six eggs, 20%, or young, 80%, in addition to the adults. The offspring will be 40% to 70% grown, and fight as creatures with three or four hit dice, depending on their growth. They have hit points based on their adjusted hit dice. Immature offspring uh, inflict 1d4, 1d4, uh, 2 to 8 points of damage with their attacks, and a character has a plus 20% to his Ben Bar's lift gates roll to escape the hug of an immature owlbear. Um, now, some of you may be thinking, why do we need to know the exact percentage of hit dice uh, for an immature owlbear? Um, that is a good question, but that is one that did not occur to me for many, many years after I started playing D&D, and apparently did not occur to Gary Gygax before his death. Um, Gary Gygax had a strange, strange fetish for verisimilitude, um, and that everything in the books he published was super detailed, super down to the last hit die and percentage point. Uh, plotted out. Um, the example I've used before, which I think I brought up on a previous podcast, uh, is there was in the first edition D&D uh, a D100 table to break down into several categories the exact type of prostitute uh, you might <laughs> discover wandering the, the red light districts of various invented cities. Um, you know, just to make sure it had that extra little piece of realism. Um, but this was something that, as a kid, I embraced. Um, the, the thing that's most often you know, bandied out about, about role-playing games uh, is the idea that uh, it provides for escapism, that it uh, you know, allows for you know, unimpeded invention uh, in terms of creating these, you know, these broad vistas where the only limit is your imagination. Um, and I don't think that that's actually what originally attracted me to D&D. See, I'd, I'd been making up stories. Uh, I'd been playing little, like, you know, fake fantasy, choose-your-own-adventure type things with my friends for years. Uh, what attracted me to D&D when I was 11 years old uh, was the fact that there, there was so much codified law about it um, that everything was entirely plotted out, that you, you knew when you walked into an owlbear's cave exactly how many eggs, 20%, or young, 80%, uh, there would be, and how many hit points they would have, and how much damage they would do to you, and you, you had a, uh, you had, you know, a, a holy, you know, resource that you could refer back to, um, and, and no one could question, you know, what happened there. Uh, it was, I think, a sense of control and completeness that was missing from my life at that point and for many, many years after that. And so now, uh, while it seems very, very silly that there's, you know, 
five different types of giant centipede. Just to <laughs> pull to a random page there. Um, I think that Gary Gygax, rest in peace, uh, understood something about the type of kid who would play D&D uh, that maybe we didn't about ourselves. Thanks. Thank you very much, Andrew. Uh, let me share very quickly one of my favorite Nerdalogs Facebook moments brought to you by Andrew. One day he posted on the Nerdalogs page a quiz from, God, I don't remember what website, uh, and it was like, Indie Band or D&D Monster? And, <laughs> and I took the quiz, and I only got two, and I was like, man, there's like, these are some really obscure bands, because the only two I knew were like, Mountain Goats and Band of Horses, which I think are pretty like, I mean, kind of everyone knows those bands. Um... And Andrew's like, yeah, I got all but one, and it's not because I know anything about music. (laughs) (laughs) That's Andrew Madden, ladies and gentlemen. All right, coming up next, we have Charlie Madsen. The (laughs) The great sports writer Grantland Rice ended his poem, Alumnus Football, with the widely known quote, for when the great one great scorer comes to mark against your name, he writes... Not that you won or lost, but how you played the game. Of course, Green Bay Packers legendary coach Vince Lombardi said, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. Vince Lombardi was a jerk. (laughs) Winners are jerks. It takes a very specific personality type to be a winner in this life. But of course, it all depends on how we define winning. To be a successful athlete, businessman, entertainer, and so on, you need to have a very specific personality trait, a killer instinct that drives you to be passionately better than all other people. Competitiveness can be a sickness for which there is no cure. In this game of life, we're constantly surrounded by the haves and the have-nots, and we see the people in this world. They are the best they are at what they do. Just watching them is exhausting. The thought of being a winner sounds like so much work. They take the joy of success, but that's just another fleeting moment until their next task. There's no zen with any of it. The true measure of victory is in a person's character. Albert Einstein said, strive not to be of success, but to be of value. And I believe that those people more than ever, I believe, is not in the winners, is in the people of value. Charles Barkley never won an NBA title. Michael Jordan has six. If I had to choose who I'd rather spend time with, it would be Charles Barkley. Because he's funny, he's fat, and he gambles a lot. (laughs) Michael Jordan used his Hall of Fame introduction speech to remind his children that they will never be better than him. Jerk. George Patton, jerk. John Adams, jerk. Tony Stark, Bruce Wayne, jerks. (laughs) James Tiberius Kirk, jerk. A cocksure and fun gentleman, yes, it's fun to watch him move around the galaxy with his swagger, but we all have to admit, he'd be a pain in the ass to be friends with, or to work with. So here's a guy who's so competitive that he basically used a game genie to beat the Kobayashi Maru. (laughs) Because the rest of us, we would probably rather lose that than cheat. Tywin Lannister, jerk. Pretty much anybody who's doing well on Game of Thrones is a jerk. (laughs) Except, of course, Daenerys Stormbore of the House Targaryen, the first of her name, Queen of the Andals, the first man, Lady of the Seven Kingdoms, Protectors of the Realms, Khaleesi of the Great Grass Sea, Breaker of Chains, and Mother of Dragons. But every now and then she does have to put her foot down. So here's what I love about your stories is the openness and the kindness, the lack of competition. It's a rare thing these days to be in a forum 
where success is measured by showing up and smiling. You know? You don't got a lot of type A personalities in here, which maybe some people would say that we aren't winners, but that's by their standards. So because we aren't the best at something, that does not make us losers. We can find joy. We can grab life by the fat of its belly and wake up every morning with a lust for life and not just focus on you know, putting our numbers up on a scoreboard that measures wealth, material success, possessions, and contributions to science and industry. No. Call me crazy. But I would rather be a happy B student than a valedictorian who nobody likes. Happiness is winning life. So now, say it with me if you know it. Clear eyes, full heart. Can't lose. Thanks, Charlie. You know, we, we, talked, we mentioned Magic the Gathering before the second half, and I actually have gotten so into it that I decided to read a strategy book on the game. And this book is written by a guy whose like, basic thesis is, if you settle for less than perfection, you are a loser. And I'm kind of like, guy, chill out. Like, <laughs> I'm only here to read about optimal combos. I don't need your Reaganomics life lessons. <laughs> I've said too much. Uh, we have a newcomer to your stories right now. Please welcome Professor Blake, everybody. <laughs> We're going to go ahead and get this started. Hello. Uh, they've gone ahead and called me down here from Northwestern. I am an adjunct. I am very, very pleased to be here. Uh, this is a very serious subject that we're going to go ahead and get a part of. Uh, as you all know, we all love playing games with one another. You go ahead and call your friends. You bring them up. Yes, it's great. You play with family. Whatever it is, you're going to play a game. However, you can look around the room here. You can pick that game that you want to play the most. However, you also have to pick the people you need to play with. Right? So without further ado, uh, Steven, my TA, let's go ahead and get him up here. Steven, come on up. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. That's right. And uh, ladies, uh, I don't have a rule against dating TAs, if you know what I mean. So, Stephen. <laughs> all right, all right. So, that's the way. So, ladies and gentlemen, I give you the player's playbook to, uh, to players you play games with, comma, ellipses, uh, play on player. That's what we have here today. I am going to go with you every single archetype of person you are going to play a game with and how to best deal with that. First one. Pretty simple. You have your competitive ones. As you can see, they're the ones who are focused, deceptive, and strategic all at once. My goodness, they are not fun to play with. You're just looking to hang out with your buddies and just play a little game. I mean, if you're going to play Risk with them, the first continent they're going to go for is Asia. Every time. They're, cock they're cocky, they're going to do it, and they're going to think they're going to take over everybody, all right? Favorite games include Risk, Settlers of Catan, any sport, really. Really, anything that they can beat you in. And of course, if you look at the play-o-meter, this is the thing you want to go ahead and go with. They are a four, and I've done this scale out of five. So a four out of five, again, if you're down with it, great. If you're not, get them out of there. Let's move on. <laughs> ah, the grudge holders, my goodness. How many times in risk have you taken over a country and you just watched somebody have steam? That's right, steam come right out of their ears. How many times have you broken that longest road streak? Many times. And that one person, that is the guy that you will have who puts all their energy into ruining your night. They will do whatever it takes to ruin you. Right here, they're angry, short for you, probably won't call you for a week after a game night. That is the people you're dealing with. They will say expletives. I'm sorry, children, this is what they do. Usually they'll go for Europe. Why? Because that's the quickest way to spread. Wherever you are, they are in the center. They will find you. They will find you. <laughs> Favorite games include, uh, let's go ahead and we look at the expletive. Anything Todd will not be playing, they will be there. <laughs> Funnel meter, you got without Todd, a four. The very, very kind. With Todd, a one. Do not invite them with Todd. <laughs> 
Oh, the, these are my favorites. They're just happy to be his. Huh? They're just happy you're invited. I'm not there. Excited, complimentary, usually bring snacks. They usually bring snacks. Right here, Rich Cotton's they'll start with eeny, meeny, miny, that one, because I'm just happy. Thank you for inviting me. Their favorite games, what do you want to play? They don't care. They don't give a shit. Five all the way, folks. Five all the way. Next, we have the oblivious. Good. Miss Gracious, if you are serious about gaming, do not invite these people, because they are just not going to care. They are apathetic, easily distracted, whatever else they are. They are not wanting to be their favorite game. Where are they going to start South America? They just do. They just do. They just do. Their favorite games include Facebook, Instagram, mind, ga- mind games with Becky, because that's all they're doing. They're texting Becky. Your turn, Steve. Oh, sorry, let me go ahead and just tell Becky I'm with my friends. One, there are one. Dogs. They're fun. Dogs are fun. They, they are, that's what they are, they're just fun. Their favorite games are fetch, poker, smelling your crotch. They do a lot of that. Uh, there are five, but my dog, he went and ate my chart. Isn't that right, Steven? Okay, Steven. And finally, you've got the philosophers. Now, okay, listen, uh, I work at a college, and I have to deal with a lot of, uh, this is the games I play with, with other professors here, the, those who think life is more than just a game. It is, they compare it to life, that's all they want to do. So, goodness gracious, we've had a lot of very well-spoken philosophers here who have done a great job of comparing that, and I really appreciate that. But I'll tell you what, they can either be dip, uh, deep or pretentious. They can be intuitive or full of something else. Or they will, they will psychoalize any, any move you make. Uh, look, risk continents include I don't choose a continent, the continent chooses me. <laughs> this is what we're dealing with. Uh, their games are Life, Mousetrap, reenacting that one scene from The Princess Bride. Okay. Goodness gracious. That's what they like to do. Uh, let's see. Funometer, like Aaron Sorkin, it's an acquired taste. Also, who invited this guy? I don't know what it is. Finally, and most importantly, you have you. You are the person that you should always care about first and foremost. Ladies and gentlemen, if you look around here, you've got a lot of great people to play games with. And again, we have a lot of stresses in our life. We have a lot of things that really, really take precedent when they don't necessarily need to, but we do hold them up here on this pedestal. Sometimes we do just want to hang out with the people we love, the people we care about, and we want to just play a game with them. So, these archetypes here, pick the one that you want to be a part of, get them there. If you don't want them there, don't invite them. It's that simple, because life is too short. A game is a game. Enjoy it. Thank you very much. You all can go ahead and find me, all right? Come on down to Northwestern. Thank you, Professor Blake. Uh, unrelated plug, if you guys have ever seen a sketch comedy group called Rabbit Rabbit, they're pretty good. I don't know what made me think of that. Uh, next up, Mr. Eric Parsons. So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of all over the place today. I've been... I asked him to put me in late because I had no freaking clue what I was going to talk about. But I've got something. So as a nerd growing up in middle school and high school, I ended up with a a deep and unabiding distaste for rednecks. Because in the central Florida, the, the rednecks by volume is far too high. And they, I found myself constantly in opposition with the redneck, but but over time I had to discover a way to like come to peace with you know 
philosophically with the rest of my universe, and so I wasn't bearing and holding a grudge, and so I was determined to find some things in common uh, with my fellow man, because at all times that's what you're supposed to do, and it's total BS, and don't listen to me, kids. Um, If somebody's a jerk to you, just don't ignore and move on because they will leave your life eventually i swear especially when you move to a really cool city like chicago where there are far fewer of those not nice people (laughs) um but anyway i did notice i i you know like i i tried desperately to figure out that actually in fact nerds and regnecks do have a few things in common i swear for one obsessiveness okay nerds we know we're obsessive rednecks they can tell you that a 56 Corvette engine will give you 210 horsepower at 5,600 RPM, I swear to God, without even asking. Yeah. Nerds, okay, Jeremy Bullock, yeah, he played Lieutenant Shekel and Boba Fett, okay? Two roles in, in Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> uh, you know, and then you think about Rednecks, how many cars do they own? Now, now how many of those cars work? <laughs> now, going to my house, how many computers do I own? <laughs> How many of them work? It's about the same ratio, people. Now, of course, there is the issue of the games that are based on statistics, entirely on paper, where the outcome is based on random events. But most nerds I know don't play fantasy football. (laughs) Some do. I said most. Most. Um, but the, the thing at the end of the day, what it really came down to is I, I've always had a hard time getting into sports and I, I, you know, like I played a lot of sports as a kid, but I loved playing because I was actively playing with other people. And whereas professional sports, I'm like, yay, we won. <laughs> yeah. Cause I sat on my ass and <laughs> ate a bunch of, uh, food I shouldn't eat and ended up like this, Woo! you know, <laughs> So, you know, like, and, and, and drinking beer and stuff, and, and, and there's a certain part of that, and I, and I always wonder, like, why, why I felt sort of, like, aggravated by, like, all this sports stuff, and I was like, well, my idea of sports and games is entirely different, thanks uh, to being part of this lovely, awesome nerd community, where games for us are about being with other people, you know, and, and what's funny is I feel that our games are a little more achievement-based, okay? Uh, recently, I've started working with kids with autism. And part of what we're doing is I've put together a program with a friend of mine where we use role-playing games uh, to teach social skills and to give these kids a chance to like work with other people and perspective-taking. Like, I don't think you're going to learn perspective-taking from Tim Tebow. Um, you know, nice enough as he is, it's hard to be like, yes, I'm just like that guy. No, most of us are not built like professional athletes, no matter how much we wish. However, in a role-playing game, you can be built like whatever you want to be built like. It doesn't even have to be human. Uh, and in this case, like, we have kids, like, putting together their own games, and, and we would have them create their own special weapons and stuff, including my favorite the internet meme launcher uh, that they then rigged into their starship to fire narwhals at the enemy combatants. (laughs) And then they rolled a 20 on the attack. 
wiping out the entire enemy flotilla as a group of five kids who all have different roles in their team, who all play different roles within their experience and are learning to like engage with other people directly. And so when somebody's like, hey, man, nerds, they're like into weird stuff. You wouldn't want to be like that. That's not normal. And it's like, fine, if that's not normal, then where do the people who aren't normal go for respite and, and you know, rejuvenation? Because if you have a hard time connecting with other people, how are you going to do that watching people on a TV do other stuff? I'm not saying it's not possible. I know lots of guys who, I, I man, I World Cup time, I get a little nuts. Um, but st- and, and there is a great thing, but there's something amazing about kids getting together playing at a game playing a game together at the same table interacting together and telling their own stories and if you want to talk about we won getting the being sent on your quest getting the treasure bringing it home and defeating uh the great evil that was going to destroy the universe i'd say we that that feels a little better than whatever the blackhawks did a few weeks ago in my mind and with that thank you guys Um, I just want to say this is like six months too late but guys Dwight Hassler is a fantasy football champion let's give it up for him he won our league last year he won $120 first time player Uh, sorry it took me some (laughs) you've made your point (laughs) anyway uh, Mr. Mike Chuck Bretzliff oh oh, jeez I'm like looking at looking at alright um Okay, so please don't be offended by what I'm about to say. I'm going to make a very broad general statement about a very large demographic, a um, very large part, p- uh, portion of the population, and that is this. People are the worst. <laughs> but games are pretty great. I like games, uh, but many games need people, um, particularly board games where there's a requirement, and it's printed like right there on the box with the little cartoon people that are pooping. Um, I think they're supposed to be sitting at a table, but it looks like they're pooping. Um, but, I, but I love games. I love them so much that twice a year I will fly out to the backwoods of Massachusetts to spend a long weekend with people that I met on the internet. And this is not going to be a weird, kinky story from Craigslist. Um, sorry to disappoint some of you, but there, we do drink a lot, so there is a bit of bad touching. And as a single guy, any form of personal contact is kind of welcome. Um, <laughs> So, <laughs> so Massachusetts. Um, it's a house con called uh, Rabbit Con, thrown by Julian Rabbit Murdoch, a friend I met through the best gaming community online called Gamers with Jobs, which you can find at gamerswithjobs.com. Um, it's a place where I immediately felt at home, um, even on my first visit, because it's a house full of super nerdy people who are just as passionate about games, comics. Uh, who their favorite doctor is, as you are, um, the 11th, by the way. Um, so there's no need to rein in your verbiage for the normals or put a lid on your excitement. The social norms are redefined for the weekend, and all restraints are off. Uh, I will nerd as hard as I can for those three days while they're worrying about if somebody knows or gets what I'm talking about or they even want to talk about it. Um, because, yes, they do. They most definitely want to talk about the trailer for book two of Legend of Korra. Um, <laughs> Does anyone want to talk about the trailer for book two? <laughs> All right. To the map room! Actually, they don't take... They take cash, so I'll have to go somewhere else. Okay, anyway. All right, so... And there's... Um, 
There's everything you'd want there as um, a nerd. So there's video games, check. Board games, check. RPGs, check. Uh, pinball machine, check. Virtual pinball machine, check. Uh, whole ton of Jordan Forge, check. Homebrewed beer, check. A standing MAME cabinet and a cocktail table MAME cabinet, double check. The list goes on to the point where um, we played so much rock band, we actually graduated from rock band. I don't know if it's really a thing, but we graduated from rock band. Um, so now we play in the, uh, Rabbit's Garage in a band called The Meeples. <laughs> uh, and it's really easy to immerse yourself in all these really cool activities. And my first one, that's uh, what I did. Um, I only talked to people that I kind of knew already. Um, but I would meet new people through games where there's a nice little structure um, to the interaction, something I can maybe use more of during uh, other social encounters. Um, it's like too bad that life isn't maybe more like uh, conversations in a Bioware RPG where it's just to say something nice, say something mean, or seduce the person. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and as I, but as I get to know these people, um, I learned something. Um, these people are amazing. Um, everyone is super talented, um, creative, and driven. Um, there are writers, engineers, scientists, uh, lawyers, artists, lots of people involved in games, where there's uh, game journalists, games producers, games designers, uh, game programmers. Uh, one guy does a little voice acting every once in a while in uh, games, but his main gig is he stars on Broadway in Mamma Mia, and the dude can sing! <laughs> Much better than that. Uh, and it's really, truly ins inspiring and motivating to be surrounded by um, such, uh, such people like this. And really easy to feel like the dumbest person in the room. Um, easier for some more than others. Um, I often feel like a Hufflepuff that wandered into a Ravenclaw party. Uh, Hufflepuff! Um, but with each kind, it became less and less about games and all these other awesome activities. And it's more about the amazing people who have quickly become uh, some of my favorites. And so it's a chance to see them, hug them, catch up, laugh, cry. Um, and the games have become secondary, though I still love them. Um, my first time here at Your Stories, I actually immediately got a RabbitCon I Feel at Home vibe. And as Eric says at the beginning of every podcast, it's a place where you can embrace the weird and obscure and assert your geekdom in a group that gets your references. Um, but it's also a place where I'm in awe of everyone because you're all so amazing and gifted. Um, I feel inspired seeing what everyone here is capable of. Um, so thanks to Eric for your stories and Reader and Geiger and the Neurologs for the tone they set in all their events. Um, and thanks to all of you for being fantastic people and creating a rabbit con feeling closer to home. Um, I guess you're not the worst. <laughs> Thank you. I want to say that that thing I read at the start of the podcast, Claire wrote that. So I was just around when I was recording it. But uh, thank you for the thank you. And, of course, to Geiger and Kevin and, and Claire and everybody. Uh, we have two more stories tonight. Coming up next, we have a person who is uh, actually kind of connected to the, the world of games. I'm sure he's going to tell you about it. Mr. Jay Carberry? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've, never, I've known you for a year, and I've never said your last name. I've only read it. Awesome. How about that? Yeah, that happens. Yeah. People. Hi. My name's Jameson, and I'm a game developer. Uh, it feels really good to say that, um, but until recently, I wouldn't have called myself that. Uh, I feel like now it's the most appropriate thing I can call myself, um, but basically I, I started a small tabletop gaming company about three and a half years ago called Flutter Goat Games. Um, uh, thank you for the applause. <laughs> Uh, at the time of its creation, I didn't think it was going to go anywhere special, um, but I had built the company with four of my best friends from my hometown, and today I can proudly say that we're uh, doing big things. 
looking back, I can't help but feel that I became game developer on accident. Uh, when I approached my friends to start a company, they all thought it was a crazy idea. Uh, so did I, but I was out of work at the time, and the company only cost me $50 and uh, some of my time. Uh, we made two games to start out with. Uh, the first was uh, called Birds. Um, it's a game which I love dearly. Um, and then the second was an unnamed board game uh, about time travel. Um, it's not actually unnamed, but the name is already taken, so I, I won't talk about it anymore. Uh, we, we took Birds from concept to fully functional game, um, and we got to the point where we needed to print it. Uh, we went to Kickstarter, and we failed miserably. Um, and then we went back to the drawing board. Uh, despite having developed a game at, at that point, I developed a game all the way, um, I still didn't feel like a game developer. Uh, I learned a lot since then, a lot, a lot. And after heading back to Kickstarter with our third game called Zombies, a game on a glass, uh, which was a drinking game, we were successful. Uh, the game came to print and we made uh, 288 of them. Uh, despite having gotten the game pr printed and into the hands of more than 50 people, uh, I still didn't feel like a game developer. Uh, we then moved to our latest game called Something Different. Uh, the game was about rules uh, and changing rules while interacting with everyone in the game. Uh, I, have, I have to thank the Nerdalogs and Public House a ton for their support. Um, with their help, I was able to play the game with so many people, uh, a lot of you in the audience here, um, and I was able to make the game into what it is today. Uh, we took something different to Kickstarter, and instead of the usual lackluster performance, we hit our goal in one day. Um, by the end of the 30-day period, we raised enough money to print 10,000 units of our game, create and print an expansion pack for the game, and to make Kickstarter exclusive bonus cards. I'm happy to say that I'll be shipping more than 7,000 copies of a game that I made with my friends out into the world. Um, better yet, we expect that by the end of the year, more than 20,000 people across more than five countries will have played the game. Um, now I feel like a game developer. Uh, but not because of the success. Um, I feel like a game developer, um, and it's because while all this was happening, I got to watch other people play something I created and have a good time. I got to see something that I made go into the world and make other people smile. Um, what made it all come together better was when I was called a game developer by somebody I had never met. Um, that's when it felt real. Despite it all being true for the last three and a half years, uh, it was never about the title being true, it was about being proud to say it. So uh, I'm Jameson, and I'm a game developer. Thanks. Thank you, dude. Uh, what do people do if they want to your, play your game and they didn't back you on Kickstarter? Um, well, they wait until after we've shipped everything out on Kickstarter okay. and then we're totally opening a store. And in the meantime, you can come to any convention we're at. If you find us on Facebook, we'll list a whole bunch of them. When you say opening a store, do you mean brick and mortar or online? Um, we're doing it online. Okay. Um, we're going to be selling them online. And if any um, interested game store would like to get copies, we have great discounted rates. I, I don't know any. Funny, funny how this worked out. Thank you so much, Jay. All right. One story left. We're going to break the theme. This is kind of a special night. So a couple of us are going to say some nice things about the next speaker. No, uh, Sh Shelby Mongan is someone I consider, maybe this is selfish, I think of Shelby as like a Nerdalog success story because she came to your stories on a whim. I don't even know why you first started coming to the show. You saw a flyer or something? I think it was on Facebook. I, I genuinely can't remember. I uh, didn't know anybody in the group. Just started coming, really liked it, and shared a story. Started coming again and again. 
to the point where Shelby became an integral part of, of what we do here, of this night. Uh, Shelby is leaving Chicago in a couple weeks. She's going to Ohio for graduate school, which is really exciting. Uh, we're all happy for her. But your stories is going to be a lot different without Shelby around. Uh, I know I'm going to miss her, and uh, I know the rest of the group is going to miss her. So with that in mind, Chris Geiger wants to say a little something, too. Magic cards, huh? <laughs> yeah, there we go. Um, so as we've been working on uh, Sayonara Alex Talavera <laughs> recently to say goodbye to one of our own, uh, I've had a lot of time to wax nostalgic about uh, what this organi organization is and what we've been doing. And ultimately, all we've tried to do is bring people together and make them laugh. And hopefully, hopefully, get them to open up to others and tell a story about their life or a book they read, I don't know, a movie they've watched, uh, something like that, I don't know, whatever you tell monologues about nowadays. <laughs> and in this spectrum of stuff we do, your stories originally always felt like a public service we were offering, and it was a while before it became a thing that it is, and, and in those times of darkness when, when Kevin and I were paying out of pocket for an event that we had like five people <laughs> show up for, we really didn't know if your stories was going to continue. And... Uh, Kevin and I would talk, about, talk at length about its purpose and about, what it, about uh, what it needed to grow, about finding new people to come, because while we loved the five people who came every time, <laughs> things do need to grow. So we thought about ending it, believe it or not. And I think we had just started asking Eric and Dwight to play music uh, and eventually host, but in those days, at the same time, we had a, a show called uh, The Dark Side, which kind of gives you an indication of where we were at an or as an organization. <laughs> uh, we did not know what we were or what we were going to be. I mean, Claire, Steve, and Joe weren't even members yet. You know, Andrew, we didn't even know who that was. Lies. <laughs> I don't even know who he is now. <laughs> I mean, what dark times. He really wasn't in the group, by the way. We, we do have a bit about that, but it's true. The yeah. group was much yeah. smaller. Um, and then one day... Uh, about almost two years ago, a girl came into your stories based off of an ad? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why. And, and she sat in the back of the room with her iPad, signed up for a story, and said nothing to anyone else. And then got up when it was her time and told an impassioned story about herself and what being a nerd meant to her. And she was shaking with nervousness and energy. And you could tell that this moment meant a lot to her. And for a moment, I fell in love with that girl. She reminded me in that moment of all the reasons why we got into this. Of that first story we heard when your stories was titled Nerdalogs Off Book that made us decide to keep doing these events. And I fell in love with her passion, her guts, and her writing. And after that, your stories, I thanked her for coming and asked if she would come back. And she, shed, she said she would, and Kevin and I excitedly talked about someone new coming to your stories. <laughs> <laughs> and true to her word, she came back, and came back, and continued to delight us as she shook less with nervousness and began to wryly own the stage as if she was always born to be there. She reminded us why we started this event in the first place, and because of her, and a couple of other reasons, we remained. The iPad has stayed, but in the place of that nervous girl who didn't know anyone is an amazing woman, who we all know, who we all fell in love with, and who we all, all are deeply going to miss when she moves out to Ohio. Or Brohio, if you follow the Nerdalogs camp. <laughs> Her name is Shelby Mongan, and she is your next speaker. And because she helped save your story so long ago, we finally felt it was time to repay the favor with the humblest of gestures we can offer. 
Shelby, you entered your stories by yourself, but you leave with a family. You are now an honorary member of the Nerdalogs. <laughs> with all of the right, well, with none of the rights and privileges there. <laughs> Most of us don't have rights, it's okay. <laughs> we need you to sign this for it to be official. So. <laughs> um, please, come up please come up and sign this. Uh, and just read this to everybody and uh, read it to everyone on the podcast as well. It says, in honor of years of support, stories, and friendship, the Nerdalogue Sketch Comedy Group of Chicago, Illinois, hereby grant the title of Honorary Nerdalogue, henceforth and forever, uh, yeah. to Shelby Mongan, Sunday, this 21st day of July, 2013. Ugh, cool. So, ladies and gentlemen, wherever you go, you have a family here. My friend, Miss Shelby Mongan. changes the context of my story. Um, oh, thank you guys for making me cry before I get up here. Um, so I start out looking awesome. Okay, so uh, this is, I know this is important, but I'm going to share it because I'm sure. So uh, I've been thinking a lot lately about what makes us remember things, what makes things memorable. Um, when I was about six years old, I have a really clear memory, and I don't have many memories from when I was a kid, but uh, there was a kid who lived across the street. He was like a brother to me. His name was Jimmy. And I have this clear memory of us at the top of his stairs um, at his house, and I was screaming at him while holding Pokemon Monopoly. And I don't know why I was yelling at him, probably because I love him, but he's not the brightest bulb in the shed, and it might have been because he was playing the game wrong or something. Um, but I remember throwing the game down and running out the stair, like out to my house. Uh, one advantage of not actually being related to him is that I lived across the street and I could escape when he got on my nerves. Uh, I don't remember why we argued and I don't remember what happened when I went home, but that memory is very clear to me. Um, and I've been thinking a lot about why things are memorable. And I have a lot of memories here at Nerdalogs. Um, I remember this first time when I showed up on top of the fizz not knowing anyone. Um, and told a story about speed dating at Comic-Con, um, which is still to this day one of the weirdest things I've ever done. Um, it's on a podcast if you want to check it out. Um, and I remember uh, the first time that I came back to a Nerdalogs event when I came to a show and I was terrified because I was by myself. And I was considering running out the door. I was so anxious um, until Kevin Reader remembered my name um, and said hello to me which is a big gesture for me, remembering my name. Um, and I remember coming back to stories. I remember telling stories that were terrifying to me, admitting things that weren't pretty, um, that weren't so flattering. I remember hearing some of my favorite stories for the first time. The first time I heard uh, Maura talk about her story about smell, um, which to this day still shakes me to my core. Um, first time I heard Bentley do his noir monologue, which is back in the Fizz days, on the, uh, back when Dwight and uh, Eric first started hosting. Um, I remember Charlie's story about um, the fantasy football team and the fantasy, your fantasy leagues, which to this day is still one of my favorites. Because um, it was painfully honest and hilarious. And it had diagrams. <laughs> <laughs> which is not conducive for podcasts, but I like it. Um, I remember coming home from Nerdalogs events uh, near panic attacks um, because I felt so inadequate 
I felt too young, I felt too naive, I didn't feel like I was funny enough because the people around me were so incredible. I was so lucky to be around them. I remember the first time that I heard Christopher tell a story after we started dating and how proud I felt. Um, I remember the pride that I felt at every Nerdalogue sketch show after hearing every first-time storyteller um, how excited I felt for them. I have a lot of really beautiful memories um, and a lot of wonderful friends. But in thinking about what makes things memorable, I realized why that question mattered to me. It didn't matter about these memories, because I have these. These are mine now. I have them in podcast form. Um, I'm not going to forget about coming to Nerdalogs. What is at the core of it is my biggest fear, um, and that is being forgettable. It's being forgotten. I'm constantly worried that people are going to forget about me. And as I'm getting ready to leave a city that meant so much to me and leave a group that's meant so much to me, and I have all these beautiful memories, the greatest fear I have is that I'm not leaving any behind for anyone else. Um, that I haven't done anything for anyone else. Um, Apparently, I have a certificate saying that's not true. <laughs> um, and I think what makes these moments memorable is the connection between people um, and honesty and authenticity and, and realness. And so I hope um, now, about three weeks before I ship out um, to God, the middle of nowhere, um, oh, I'm going to miss Chicago so much. Um, that my attempts to be real and to be authentic um, and to be loving and attempts at being funny um, have maybe stuck a memory or two with one of you guys. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for everything you've done. You guys have made the last year and a half, two years remarkable and I couldn't have asked for anything better. So thank you guys so much. <laughs> Uh, I always forget that Shelby's first show was Dwight and my first show too. That's so crazy because that was my first show. Was it really? It's not a joke. No, yeah. Wait, yeah. Yeah, that was my first show. That was my first. That was pre-podcast. We didn't start yeah. recording this till November. That was like August twenty. That was uh, June twenty eleven. That was the month after I graduated from. Was college. it June? Okay. Yeah. That was, so yeah, that was that's insane. Um, that's so weird. We all just come together. It's all our first shows. It was like destiny. Now, Shelby, we're we're not gonna forget you. <laughs> All right, here's a song from a game. This is. I think that the beginning of this song uh, reminds me of how I feel about how everything went tonight. First line of the song. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> good for you, Claire. Good for you. That's good. That's great. We have great chemistry on stage. This was a triumph. Yay. I'm making a note here, huge success. It's hard to overstate my satisfaction. Aperture science. We do what we must because we can. For the good of all of us, except the ones who are dead. 
But there's no sense crying over every mistake You just keep on trying till you run out of cake And the science gets done and you make the big gun For the people who are still alive I'm not even angry I'm being so sincere right now to help you Maybe Black Mesa That was a joke Haha, <laughs> fat chance dying I'll still be alive and when you're dead I'll be still alive still alive still alive The Nerdologues present Your Stories is sponsored by the Chicago sketch comedy troupe The Nerdologues and is recorded the third Sunday of every month at the Public House Theater 3914 North Clark Street in Chicago the stories you heard have been prepared and presented by the speakers on a volunteer basis. Special thanks to Sean Patrick Boyle for his help with recording. Our theme song comes from the band State Shirt. For more information on the Nerdalogs, your stories, and everything else, go to www.nerdalogs.com.